Well, I was not expecting to be up here um, this morning. I got a text at just after 5.30 this morning from Pastor John um, indicating that he was ill and wouldn't be able to make it, and so asked if I could fill in. Um, and th- obviously, it's not some. I'm not covering Revelation chapter 18, I think it was, that he was on. Um, I, I did not throw this together this morning, actually, for those that are in my Sunday school class. You're going to get a repeat of, of last week's or similar to last week's with that. I've been started a class on parables. Uh, I have, as a teacher, I've always been interested in Jesus' teaching methods, um, tremendous ones, and, and I wish I were, you know, a quarter of the teacher uh, that, that he was. <clears throat> and Jesus is known for his parables. And so, you know, I said, let's cover parables. One of the things about parables, though, is they are not limited to what most of us think of as parables. Uh, A parable is a saying or a story that is intended to drive a main point into the memory of a listener. Um, That's what a parable is, very simply. Jesus was not the only one who used parables. Um, They're used in the Old Testament. They're used outside of the Bible. Uh, If you think of Aesop's fables, those are parables. Um, Short stories with a, a main point to them. And they are, again, intended to bring across one main point to the listener. And it's important to remember, in the culture that Jesus taught in, it was a culture that learned primarily by hearing the spoken word. They did not have, you know, each family didn't have a Torah, you know, a copy of the Torah with them at home. They, they heard, they memorized, they learned by that. And parables were a good way of doing that. One of the problems that, that we have today with parables is we try to overanalyze them. Um, we live in a culture that's very different. We look at the details. Details are important, and we want to focus on in, in pulling out all the details. And then after all these details, we'll, we'll figure out a, somehow they kind of go together. A parable and Jewish thought at that time was totally different. It was, here's the main thing. Here's the main idea. The details are interesting. They, they help lead you to that main idea, but don't, don't get stuck on the details. Get that main idea. And as I said, throughout church history, parables um, are often interpreted as an allegory. And an allegory 
is where every character or everything has a, a certain representation. And I'm going to read uh, a little bit of this. It's a great one with Augustine with this. And this is about the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is Augustine's interpretation of what the parable of the Good Samaritan is about. Augustine's an outstanding example of those who pressed parables to teach something plainly outside their limits. Dealing with the traditional teaching of the church, which was teaching parables as allegories in which each term stood for a cryptogram for an idea so that the whole had to be decoded term by term, C.H. Dodd, in The Parables of the Kingdom, cites Augustine's interpretation of the parable of the Good Samaritan. By a certain man who went down from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho, Adam himself is meant. Jerusalem is the heavenly city of peace, from whose blessedness Adam fell. Jericho means the moon, and signifies our mortality because it is born, waxes, wanes, and dies. Thieves are the devil and his angels, who stripped him, namely of his immortality, and beat him by persuading him to sin, and left him half dead. Because in so far as man can understand and know God, he lives. But in so far as he is uh, wasted and oppressed by sin, he's dead. He's therefore called half dead. The priest of the Levite who saw him and passed by signify the priesthood and ministry of the Old Testament, which could profit nothing for salvation. Samaritan means guardian. And therefore, the Lord himself is signified by this name. The binding of the wounds is the restraint of sin. Oil is the comfort of good hope. Wine is the exhortation to work with fervent spirit. The beast is the flesh in which he deigned to come to us. Set upon the beast is belief in the incarnation of Christ. The inn is the church, where travelers are refreshed on their return from pilgrimages to their heavenly country. The morrow is after the resurrection of the Lord. The two pence are either the two precepts of love or the promise of this life and of that which is to come. The innkeeper is the Apostle Paul. And the entire meaning of the parable is lost. That parable Jesus gave to answer the question, who's my neighbor? Who is it that I am supposed to, to take care of? Who am I supposed to love? And it's the person that you see that's in need. Totally lost with that because of, of focusing on the details. That is not the way that parables were meant to be handled or, or interpreted with that. 
Um, now, there are times where there are parables that do use allegory. Okay? Some of the parables, there is. And, and many times, Jesus explains what the particular things stand for. But in general, they're, they're not allegories, and the way to study parables is not to, to go in and start figuring out what each little thing represents. Part of a literal interpretation of Scripture is to interpret things in the way that they were intended, in the form that they were intended. Um, something that is a parable is not intended to, to take every part of it and, you know, interpret it and, and you know, use that to, to set up this real um, specific doctrine or, or anything like that. Again, it has a main point. It is intended to touch the heart. Touching the heart, not in the wrong way, the, the brain. I mean, yes, your brain is involved, and that is important, but it's through the heart. It is to, to touch the heart first to train the brain, to fill the brain with truth that goes with that. Um, as I mentioned, parables were used in the Old Testament. Uh, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to start with verse 1. In this passage, Nathan, prophet Nathan, uses a parable. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Now, when you look at that parable, 
it has, in many ways, nothing to do with what David had done. Doesn't talk about adultery, doesn't talk about a wife, anything like that. But it was a story that obviously touched David's heart. He was furious. Man should die. It touched him. And then in this one, Nathan reveals. And notice, he doesn't go into revealing, you know, you, you stole, you know, Beersheba, anything like that. Just simply, you were the man. The story came across of this great injustice of a man of power taking advantage of someone who was subservient to him. But it got that message across. Again, parables are not meant to go in and, you know, the sheep represents... Uh, Bathsheba or anything like that, it's a general theme with that. And so that is one of, you know, one of the clear teaching areas with this. Again, as I mentioned before, Jesus taught to a culture that was primarily an oral-based learning culture. And I know Tom talks about this quite often, where bringing the word to groups like this, you have to put it into um, a story, a memorable form, and that's what parables do. Um, it's focusing again on the, the big picture. The details contribute to the big picture but the details are not what are supposed to be the focus. And this even goes into Jesus' continual conflict with the Pharisees. The Pharisees' interpretation was always to go and take a law or a statement and focus on the details. Make sure I get the details right. So to make sure that I'm giving one-tenth of everything, I'm going to take, you know, all my spices and the cumin, and I'm going to count out, and one-tenth of them I am going to separate out and donate that to make sure I follow the letter of the law. And they forgot the greatest of all the, all the laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. The big picture is love. It's not the details. The big picture is love. And, you know, again, this is what the, the Pharisees missed. And many times we can fall into that same problem as we look at parables and we try to focus on all the fine detail with them. Again, parables, um, or turn now please to Matthew 13, verses 34 and 35. 
Parables were a foundation of Jesus' teaching ministry. Matthew 13, 34, and 35. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now, again, this is an important one. Again, talking about literal translation. Some people with interpreting the Bible become so literal that they lose the meaning. Um, Jesus was one of these. He used exaggeration, things that were not to be taken literally. And in here, um, Matthew, as he's writing this, you know, he goes, he had said nothing to them without a parable. Um, Jesus didn't absolutely every time that he taught use parables. But it was such a common method for Jesus that this is what people, you know, when they thought of Jesus' teaching ministry, it was these parables. It was these stories. It was these um, events that they remembered yeah, they didn't remember all of the, the details uh, of every bit of teaching, but they remembered the stories. And, and we remember them today with that. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. I'm sorry, if I had prepared before, I would have had these all written out, but um, it takes me a little bit of time in using my iPad, and thankfully it didn't shut down on me this morning. Matthew chapter 19, starting with verse 23. And this is an example of a parable that is just a short saying. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, I have heard several different sermons in my life that have gone over this particular passage. I have, have heard ones, and they've talked about uh, one of the gates into the temple was called the Eye of a Needle. It was a smaller gate, and for a camel to, to enter into the temple uh, area with this, which unfortunately happened quite often, it was used as a shortcut by caravans to cut through Jerusalem, 
This is part of why Jesus cleared the temples because it was being used as a highway uh, with this. But that this one particular gate called the Eye of the Needle was so small that for the camel caravans to, to move the caravans through there, they would have to unpack everything off of the camel. The camel would have to go down onto its knees and basically crawl through, then get up, and reload them and all of that. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind at all. Okay? He wants to make a picture in the minds of his listeners that they're never going to forget. The needle is a needle. The eye of the needle is the eye of a needle. You know, and, and the camel is a camel going through that. Uh, look at the response um, of, the, um, of the disciples. When the disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? If what you just said, there's no way anyone can be saved. Not just a rich man. Okay? It was something that was impossible. And notice even Jesus' statement. With man, this is impossible, with, but with God, all things are possible. Jesus is putting a mind picture into his listeners so that they're never going to forget this. Being saved is not something that we can do by our own, you know, physical forces. It, it's impossible without God. And for a rich man, it is also because it's much easier for a rich man to focus his faith in his money rather than having his faith in God. That was the message that he wanted communicated with it, and something that is obviously very easy to remember with that. Uh, turn back just a little bit to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, and I'm going to begin with verse 21. This is obviously one that is listed as a parable. It is a story um, a little bit longer uh, with this. Um, but you can see um, what we traditionally think of as parables. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? As a junior high teacher, I get this question all the time. Not about forgiving, but it's like I'll give an assignment. How many pages does it have to be? 
Or how many words does it have to be? Okay. Yeah. Because I know if I tell them it's got to be 500 words, I will see on the page, you know, 428, little mark there. Yeah. And they're getting close to it. And they get to 500, and sometimes they might even finish the sentence with one or two more words. Sometimes they stop there. It's kind of the same thing. It's part of human nature. If you set a limit, okay, I'll meet that limit, but nothing more than that. And that's kind of what Peter's doing here. Yeah, how many times do I have to? I'll, I'll, you know, if you say 10, I'll do it 10, but don't expect 11. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And again, interpreting it the way that Jesus does and as, as we go through this, it doesn't mean that at 78 you stop forgiving either. Uh, it's unlimited forgiveness with that. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all they had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now obviously the, the big message is about forgiveness, but Part of it to get the, the full word picture in here, I, I do want to, to do a little bit of detail in here. You can think of this, this first servant who owed 10,000 talents, basically a million dollars. Yeah. A, you know, common worker, and he owes a million dollars. He may never earn that much in his life. If he's thrown into jail 
until he pays it all, and he's not working, he's never getting out of jail. Okay? Jesus was using a, a sum of money there that everybody immediately would have understood there is no way in the world any servant ever, with any possibility, could ever pay this back. Totally impossible. No chance. The, the second amount, the, um, where it goes down to 100 denarii, might be something like $10,000. A huge sum. It was still a big debt. But even if he had collected it, this $10,000 to a million-dollar debt, it's nothing. You know, it was a, a drop in the bucket of what he owed and yet would not offer that forgiveness. And so the people then, you know, would have seen, you know, this sum that's way up here and, and this other sum that's here, you know, whether he received that 10000 from that other servant or not, it wasn't going to change his situation with that. Um, but it is something that people would, would remember um, with that. It would stick in their head with that. And, and then Jesus, as he sums up the meaning with this. And not all the time did Jesus interpret his parables. In fact, the Bible talks about some of his parables were meant to be concealed from people. Some of the parables were for you know, a group that understood and to baffle everyone else. Sometimes he gave the interpretation. Sometimes he left the interpretation for the hearer. But here he, he gives the meaning for it in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Again, it's talking about forgiveness, loving one another, but there is judgment for us if we do not forgive. So going back up to the question that Peter asked that Jesus is answering with this, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? It better be every time. That's the message Jesus was bringing with that. Forgiveness is not optional. It's not something when you feel like it. It's not something that you reach your quota of forgiveness. You are to forgive every time. And again, this is, you know, how parables are used by Jesus and throughout the, the Bible. Um, 
they are a tremendous way to get the basics of God's Word. You know, loving others, forgiving one another. They bring the big picture, but don't try to, to make them into the details with that. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for, for your word, and I thank you for um, recording these parables uh, of Jesus and, and of others in your word. And, and thank you that we can, can learn from them just as those that heard them as Jesus uh, spoke them, that they can be um, real and true to us, they can, can touch our hearts just as they touch the hearts of the, the hearers at that time. And Lord, just help us to, to learn those, those big basics that you want from us, to, to love one another, to forgive others, to be concerned about the salvation of others. And Lord, I, I pray um, especially for VBS this week coming up. And in many ways, <clears throat> VBS uses parables also. Uh, the stories that are told, uh, the skits, are those kinds of parables. And I pray that uh, those children would hear and see those things and remember those big truths that are being taught. Um, I pray for uh, good weather for VBS. I pray for uh, the leaders that you would uh, bring them health during this time. Uh, pray for um, the children to have a heart ready to hear your word. Pray for the, the families of these young children that they also would, would hear your message through these stories and through uh, the songs uh, with VBS. And Lord, I, I just pray that uh, it would touch the hearts of those that you have prepared for your harvest. In Jesus' name, amen.